I'm Jimmy Evans, and this is the Marriage Day Podcast. On this season of the podcast, we're highlighting one of my favorite teaching series. Marriage on the Rock was first printed in 1994 and has helped millions of couples since. In Marriage on the Rock, we cover what it takes to have a successful biblical marriage. In today's episode, I'm talking about financial management in marriage. Enjoy this teaching. A married man, a married woman, or children with their parents intact, they have a better chance of financial wealth than anybody else on earth. It's just proven. And so wealth has a, a real blessing to it when it comes into marriage and we can handle it. However, the number one reason people list is why they're divorcing is money problems. It's a two-edged sword. It has tremendous power of blessing if we know how to handle it together in marriage, but if we don't, it causes tremendous stress. And Karen and I, this was the radioactive issue in our marriage. By radioactive, I meant somebody's gonna get hurt, is we could not talk about money. You know, money happens all the time. That's the problem with it. It's not one of those things that happens every now and then. Money happens all the time. It's real. There's a demand on our life for us to have money and to spend money, and especially for the, the essentials of life. We were broke, number one. We did not know how to handle money, and we didn't agree with, on it, so we couldn't talk about it. We couldn't talk about money. And so we just had this incredible stress within our lives, and money was really it was the, the most painful, most frustrating subject in our marriage. Today, it's a huge blessing. And so we know what it's like to be broke. We know what it's like to live hand to mouth and, and month to month, uh, week to week, paycheck to paycheck. We know exactly what it's like. But we also know what it's like to be blessed and to be able to talk about money without any sense of, of anxiety whatsoever. I heard a preacher say this one time, money, when a person gets saved, money is the last to come and the first to go. Money is typically the last area of our lives we give Jesus Lordship in. And I can just tell you as a preacher, when you talk about money, it is for many people, it's just a very frustrating, they get angry when you talk about money. And I'll tell you why you get angry. It's because Jesus isn't Lord of that area. That's why I used to get angry when I would hear preachers talk about money. It's just Jesus, Jesus isn't Lord in that area. Well, if Jesus isn't Lord in your area, here's, in that area, here's the problem. See, when Jesus is Lord of your marriage, that means both of you are not. As a couple, neither one of you is dominating the money. And neither of you is wrestling to try to get the other person under their control because Jesus is Lord. When there's one head, you don't have to worry about two heads. You're not gonna have a head-butting contest when Jesus is Lord. But when Jesus isn't Lord, you're gonna have all kinds of problems, starting with God. This is what Jesus said about money in Matthew 6, beginning with verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I don't believe Jesus is telling us not to save and not to prepare for retirement and be responsible. He's talking about hoarding. He, he's talking about having to have too much or putting your trust in money so that you're, you're living your life to accumulate wealth. He's saying don't do that. You don't need to do that. You make yourself rich in heaven. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other or else be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And basically he just gives us two choices there. You're either serving money or you're serving God. And you say, well, why would there only be two choices? Because money offers everything God does, everything, without any moral, uh, without any moral commitment whatsoever. See, money says, sleep with anybody you want to. You know, smoke, drink, fight, 
Do anything you want to. Who cares? Just if you have me, you'll have security. If you have me, you'll have somebody. If you have me, the doors are going to open to you. If you have me, you're going to get all the pleasure you want in life and people are going to serve you and you won't have to serve them. And so money, money makes us all these promises that money's going to bring us peace into our lives. Unfortunately, those are all the promises that God makes. Okay. And so Jesus in, uh, this is Mark 4, 19, he says, the cares of this world, he's talking about people who don't bear fruit for God, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things entering in, choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. He talks about the deceitfulness of riches. If you believe that money will make you happier deceived, you, you really are deceived. And that's what money tells us, that if we have it, we'll be happy. Money is a blessing, but people who have money are not happy unless they are right with God and their family. I can just tell you right now, I, I know a lot of people that have money, and there are some that are righteous and as happy as they can be, but they're not happy because of their money. Money is a blessing. It's a good thing to have, but they're happy because of God and their family. But if you have all the money in the world, it doesn't matter. That's why Jesus called it the deceitfulness of riches. It makes you promises, but it doesn't fulfill those promises. And you can see a list, very, very you know, commonly known list of people who had a world of wealth and were miserable people. It just doesn't do that. Jesus also said the cares of this world keep people, Christians, from bearing fruit. That means anxious awareness. It means stress. Money puts this stress on you and you go out and live in stress to get more money, but that stress has a price to it. This is Proverbs 10, 22. It says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it, makes one prosperous. Let me, let me define prosperity to you because this is important. Prosperity just means having more than enough to do God's will for your life. And for some people that might mean $50,000. Other people it might mean $500,000. It, it's, it's personalized. But not having enough is a curse. That's called poverty. Never having enough is a curse. And anyone believe, who believes that poverty is blessed has never lived in poverty. It's cursed. My father slept outside every night when he was growing up. In the wintertime, he slept with the horses. He ate meat once a week. He didn't have shoes when he started school. My father was scarred by poverty. And I lived watching my father live as an adult still with that hanging over his head. And when Karen and I got married, I had a poverty spirit on me. Not having enough is cursed and God wants us to have enough. But just having barely enough is also the pits. You barely have enough to pay your bills. You barely have enough to get by. That's the pits. My Bible says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. My cup runs over. Well, why does my cup run over? My cup runs over so I can share something with somebody else. Only the devil wants Christians broke. The devil wants Christians broke so we can't help anybody. We're barely getting along. Either we don't have enough or we barely have enough and we see a world in need and we can't do anything about it. God wants us to have a full pocket for people who have empty hearts. Do you know that? My cup runs over. And so money, when, you, when you're going after money and Jesus said the cares of this world... The cares of this world, what does that mean? It means when you have God's blessing, when Jesus is Lord of your finances, he's gonna give you his blessing and you're going to be able to make wealth and it won't cost you your health, it won't cost you your marriage, it won't cost your children, it won't cost you your reputation. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches means you put your health, your family, your marriage, and your reputation on the altar of success and if you ever do get it, it costs you everything you have. I heard someone say one time, Americans are the only people so crazy that we'll give our health up to get money just so we can get money to buy our health back. 
In verse 33, Jesus gives, this is Matthew 6, 33, in my opinion, it's the greatest promise in the Bible. And if you only know one promise, this is the one to remember. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And the context is money. The context is Jesus saying, you have a father. You're not like other people. You have a father in heaven. You don't have to worry like other people who don't have God. You have a father that knows everything about you and cares. You don't have to worry about clothing and, and houses and food and those things. Certainly it's something to consider and to prepare for and be concerned about. But you have a father who loves you. And then Jesus in that context says, if you'll seek him first and his character, that's what his righteousness means. If you'll try to be like God first and seek him in all things, he'll give you everything else. What, what do you mean give? It's the blessing of the Lord that causes a person to prosper, to have more than enough to do God's will for your life. And there will be no stress with it. There will be no divorce with it. There will be no children who grow up bitter because their father or their mother gave up on them to go out and make money. There will be no sorrow with it because it's the blessing of the Lord. That's what Jesus says here. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. And so the Lordship of Jesus Christ, when Jesus is the Lord of our finances, there's a blessing that comes upon our finances. And I've lived both ways, trust me. When God blesses your finances, he can, listen, I want you to listen to me just a minute. I know you'll agree with what I'm saying, but just process this. God can make things last longer. Anybody agree with what I'm saying? The children of Israel went through the wilderness for 40 years and their shoes never wore out. And it's not because they didn't walk on them. For 40 years, they walked on the same pair of shoes and they never wore out. God can keep, God can make things last longer. Anybody agree with that? Say amen. God can keep things from breaking. Okay, we had a couple here in the church that gave an offering to our building fund one year and their oven wasn't working. And they gave the gift knowing that they were given the money to, to fix their oven. And when they gave the gift, their oven started working. And they, they shared this testimony. It was one of one of our videos. They shared the testimony. God can heal appliances. I know I was in the appliance business. He can heal appliances. Now, when I was in the appliance business, we were praying for God to strike all your appliances. <laughs> so you'd come in and buy some. Okay, God can make things last longer, right? God can keep things from breaking, right? God can bless our health, right? And God can cause supernatural favor and provision to come when it wouldn't have, right? And so... The only, the only thing you need is God's blessing, okay? When Jesus is Lord, he always blesses. And here's what it means, just quickly, here's some of the things that it means for Jesus to be Lord. If Jesus is Lord of your finances, it means you pray about everything. Jesus wasn't Lord of my finances and when Karen and I got married. And what it means is we just made decisions. We made decisions and then we wanted God to bless it. I bought some of the worst cars in the history of automobiles. And I just thought they were great. And I, you know, I don't know a whole lot about cars. I just thought they were great. I bought lemon after lemon, but I want you to listen to what I'm saying. Now, Karen and I pray about everything. We don't make any significant decision unless we make it together. Never, ever, ever. Now, one of the things in pre-marriage counseling, this is just something you need to talk about, but one of the things that we talk about in pre-marriage counseling is how much can you spend without your spouse's approval? Most people find that out by fighting. You bought what online? And 
Okay, so how much, how much can you spend without your spouse's approval? And so in counseling, no kidding, is we, I had one couple and she said, if he's buying a Slurpee at 7-Eleven, I want to call. I don't want him buying anything without buying permission. Then I had another woman that came up to me, this was after a seminar, and she said, I guess my, my husband and I need to talk because he just bought a ranch this week that I didn't know about. I said, I think I would talk to him about that. So giving and praying make Jesus the Lord of our finances, and that's where blessing comes from, and it keeps you from competing for control of your finances. Number two, danger of money and marriage is disrespect of your spouse's financial perspective and input. Now, this is, Karen and I couldn't talk about it because we both had judged each other so much. Now, most of us think this is $100, and no, you cannot have it. That's a $100 bill. See, we assume when people look at money there, Benjamin Franklin, is we assume that everybody sees the same thing, but they don't. And I read an article, now I'll tell you about Karen and I in just a minute, but when you look at this money, you see different things than your spouse does typically. You're seeing something different. Kenneth Doyle, financial psychologist at the University of Minnesota, he published a report and he talked about the four money languages that we typically, we could have more than one money language, but typically we have a dominant money language. And here are the four money languages, according to Kenneth Doyle. Number one is driver. To a driver, money means success. When a driver sees money, now there's no right or wrong answer. It's just the way we see money. To a driver, this just means success. It just, you know, if money protects against the fear of incompetence, the more money they have, the more competent they feel. Kind of a self-esteem kind of a deal. Right or wrong. Number two is an amiable, money means love. Uh, relationships and people are the focus of their financial desires. Money means love and affection. Lack of money means losing the ability to express love. Number three is analytic. Money means security. It wards off chaos and problems, and these people are very well structured and well planned. Number four is expressive. Money means acceptance and respect. Money purchases the respect and admiration of others, Money means acceptance and provides a basis for a relationship with desirable people. And so, again, there's no right or wrong answer. We are born with this in us. We, we look at money a certain way. Well, for, let, me, let me ask this. Does anybody, when I just read those there, can I want you to raise your hand and keep them up if you would. Does anybody, do you see yourself in those four? Anybody, can you identify? Okay, raise your hand real high. Okay, hurry, hurry, hurry. Raise your hand if you see yourself in there. Look around. And all the hands that are up. Okay, most people's hands are up. Put your hand down. Okay. Did you see, if you're married, did you see your spouse in there? Raise your hand real high if you saw your spouse. Raise your hand. Hurry. Real high. Okay, so most people saw their spouse in there. Put it down. Okay, now this is the question. Okay, are you different than your spouse? If you are, raise your hand. If you raise your hand real high, look at all the people that are different than their spouse. Okay, Karen is an analytic and I'm an amiable. To Karen, money means security. She, she is a very good person with money. She's very thrifty. She always was. When we were dating and we first got married, uh, Karen was very thrifty with money. But to me, money means love. When I have love, I, I mean, when I have money, I just love to, you know, express, uh, you know, affection toward, you know, whoever it is around my family, especially Karen and my family. So when we got married and we would talk about money, Karen called me a spendthrift and I called her a tightwad. That's why we couldn't talk about money, because we judged each other so much. And she, when she called me a spendthrift, my blood pressure would go up. And I just, oh, I hated her to say that. And I said, Karen, you're kind of one of those women, you're going to die with all your money in your mattress, and nobody will like you. 
And she said, you won't have the money to get a mattress. And I thought, ooh, get under my skull. So we just, we couldn't talk about it. But, but listen to me. It's just the way I see money. It's just the way she sees money. Well, well, here's the issue. And that is, if you're both the same, you actually have the same strength, but you have the same weakness. You're better if you're different. See, with Karen and I, we've been married so long, we think alike. And so I'm very conservative financially. Is I just, especially the older I get, I, I think like Karen thinks, but she also thinks like I think. And I said one time, the, the family is safer because of her, it's funner because of me. <laughs> Karen doesn't like me to say it. And uh, she's very fun, and she's also a very generous person. She's a, she's a huge giver and taught me to give. But the point is, we make better decisions when we make them together. And when we're, when we're having a conversation related to money, I know immediately that Karen is going to be conservative. I know that she's going to want to conserve money because to her, that's security. Now, her security is in God. She's a woman of God. She's not a worldly, money-loving kind of a person, but she's conservative financially, which I always thought she's a tightwad, and I need to pry it out of her tightwad little fingers. That's my mission in life is to get money away from the sister. Okay. She knows, she knows when she's talking to me about money that being together with our family and enjoying each other is the mecca, the absolute mecca of my life. We're in Disneyland. My three granddaughters, the twins, Abby and Ellen, and Kate, are in Bippity Boppity Boutique. Anybody been to Bippity Boppity Boutique Disneyland? They're in Bippity, they're getting their hair done up. They're getting glitter and their crown in their hair. And they're getting their makeup done. Little girls, but you know how Disneyland. And I'm sitting outside in the heat, you know, at Disneyland, packed, crowded, and my three granddaughters walk out, a bippity boppity boutique, all hand in hand, glitter on their face, little crowns on. I'm thinking, take me, Jesus. It'll never get any better than this. It's just the way I'm wired. And I would say for many years, Karen and I would talk about money. I wanted to enjoy each other. I wanted to be with my family. I wanted to do something with people. That's just the way that I'm wired. And it's not saying Karen doesn't want to, but she will conserve for a long time before she's willing to. But the point being today, we, just, we don't have a problem in this area because we respect each other, but before we just judged each other constantly, is called each other names, you know, and went to extremes. All money languages have a weakness. A driver may have an over-dependence upon money for his or her self or security and self-esteem. An analytic may be well-structured, but insensitive to the needs of people and the voice of God. Money can become God to an analytic, and they can be very insensitive to people around them, an amiable like me, may be kind and generous, but a poor money manager who is unprepared for the long term. If both people in the family are amiable, you probably don't have a lot of money. You're probably very well liked and broke. Uh, <laughs> expressive, maybe someone who uses money the way some people use alcohol to hide their fears and insecurities and to deal with their pain. And so I, listen, I have a weakness in my money language. I'll, I'll just admit it is I am amiable, which means I see money in a certain way. I need an analytic around me, and thank God I have one. And so life is better when you have someone to balance you. And by the way, if you both have the same money language, get help. 
find someone, a friend, a financial counselor, someone who can speak into your life from a different perspective, and it really will bless you. But, but honestly, a lot of you are different. And let me, let me read this last part here because I don't want to leave this out. We can all say I love you in different ways. Let's listen to this one. An analytic communicates love by saving. These are your irritating relatives that give you savings coupons for Christmas. And you're thinking, I don't want savings. I don't want a savings bond. I don't want a savings account slip. I want cash. Any part of cash you don't understand? I want a new iPod. They say, no, here's a $50 savings bond. Analytic. Amiable. Communicates love by sharing. I'll give you cash. You want me and your family. Driver communicates love by showing. Look at the new house. Look at the new cars. Look at the trampoline. Look at the things that I got for you. An expressive communicates love by spending. They'll go out and spend, and they think in the process, they're going to give you better clothes. They're going to give you something that will make you uh, in with the, the group of people that you want to be a part of. So we may be saying, I love you, but we say it in different ways. And again, we can, if we don't understand that, it can be a great source of tension. So let me give you three scriptures real quickly, three thoughts. Luke eleven seventeen. Jesus said, a house divided against itself falls. It's impossible to disagree and succeed. When you have disagreement, chronic disagreement within a relationship, it won't succeed. That's why unity is essential. Second scripture, can two walk together unless they agree? And when he's first agree, answer is no. You, you fight because you don't agree. Budgeting is a critical thing, not because of numbers, but because of values. Budgeting is talking in advance. It's not arguing along the way. Can two walk together unless they agree? No, you're going to fight the whole time. Why? Because you didn't agree. Budgeting is not a mathematical thing. Budgeting is a values and priorities thing. What do you value? Do you value, do you value go to Disneyland? Or do you value buying a new car? Or do you value going camping? Or do you value saving for college? Or do you value a new couch? What do you value? Because what's gonna happen in the process of sitting down and budgeting is you're gonna have a proactive conversation, a conversation in advance, and you're gonna talk, not bully each other, you're gonna pray and submit everything to God, and then you're gonna talk, and what you're gonna find out is we wanna give. And that's our number one value. And then we want to, to take care of the needs of our home. And then we want to save for our children's education. And at the end of the line, what you have is all your values have been established. And you agree. Can two walk together unless they agree? No. But if you agree, you're going to walk together and have a great time. Karen and I never budged it. We, we weren't, weren't able to talk about money. Here's the third scripture. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. You need to go on a vision retreat once a year. And this is, you can budget then if you want to, but it's bigger than budgeting. A vision retreat is where you go together and you pray about your children, you pray about your family, you pray about your relationship, and you get a vision for the next year for what God wants you to do. Where there is no vision, and that means spiritual revelation, the ability to see the way God wants you to see People cast off restraint. You can't keep them together. But happy is he who keeps the law. Happy is he who walks in the will of God. And that's what it means. Chronic disagreement means you're fighting because you don't see eye to eye. You don't see eye to eye because you've never stopped and submitted to God 
and talked about the budget and talked about your vision and values until now you're able to walk together because you're both looking at exactly the same place because you've agreed. And so chronic disagreement just simply means stop. Don't be reactive, be proactive. There's proactive communication, reactive communication, and radioactive communication. You can be proactive in your communication. It's the very best way to communicate. If you're not proactive, you'll become reactive. And when you become reactive, some issues will become so radioactive you can't talk about them. And radioactive means somebody's going to get hurt if we talk about this anymore. We can't control our temper. It's become radioactive, dangerous. Number five is debt. Number five, danger is debt. I don't believe that debt is wrong. I just believe it's very cautionary. It's always better to pay cash. To live under your means, to save so you can pay cash. Listen, if you're not saving, you're not living within your means. If you're not saving money, you're not living within your means. Don't go into credit card debt. It's the worst debt in the world. If I use credit cards. We pay them off at the end of every month. Pay them off. Use them for whatever you want to use them for. It's the, worst, it's the worst debt you can possibly go into, and people are sending you these uh, credit cards all the time to get you to use them. You've got to discipline yourself. Don't go into that kind of debt. It is stifling debt. Karen and I had credit card debt early in our marriage, and it was just, it was just choking us uh, because of all the, the interest that we owed. Get out of that kind of debt. Pay cash as much as you possibly can. And I used to say, borrow for appreciating items, but there aren't very many appreciating items these days. But be careful about debt. If you're borrowing for a house or a car, be careful about it. But live under your means, save money, and when you go into debt, if you go into debt, just pray about it. And make sure we can easily make this payment. This payment is not gonna cause stress. This payment is not gonna compromise our ability to live our lives is we're, we're, this is not going to compromise us. And we don't have this mentality. The more I make, the more I can borrow. That's a dangerous mentality. Here's the mentality. The more I make, the more I can save. And the more I can pay cash. I may need to wait a while and delay gratification for a while. But then I'll, whatever I didn't get here, I'll more than make up for in being able to pay cash. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.